Huh? Yeah, whenever you're ready. <laughs> hey everyone, I'm Kevin Wolf. And I'm David Oro, and you're listening to the Umbargo, the greatest PR podcast of all time. Damn straight. Whenever we get around to it. Which is usually every other week. We're gonna talk about news, politics, sports, pop culture, business, whatever we want. All of it from the point of view of public relations and communication. We are all about punching stodgy PR in the face. That's right, so sit back, strap in, and let's get it on. Today is Thursday, September 30th, 2021. Kevin, how are you doing? It's your favorite time of the year, bro. This is a pretty good time here. We got the baseball playoffs coming up, uh, NBA basketball it's like about to kick off, and uh, in the NFL is in full swing. Day. So yeah, I'm a happy camper. It's like the weather in the Bay Area is perfect today. So yeah, this is the best time of year for weather in the Bay. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for so sure. So we we got a great show today. Uh, I'm excited to introduce a guest again. And in fact, our next few weeks we're gonna have guests all day long. So no more. Of this uh, Kevin and David talking to each other because we've got very exciting folks on the line. We got a great, we got a great slate. Of yeah, we have a great slate coming up. So today I'd like to introduce you. What I, I just made this up this morning. I'm like, you know what? He is. He's the PR pro whisperer, particularly if you work in tech PR. He resides where time starts in America, Eastport, Maine, about as far east as you can get before you fall off the earth. Um, He's worked as a reporter, news editor, an editor-in-chief, an editorial director of PC Week, then as a vice president of integrated media for the thing that's changed hands many times, ZD Publishing, Ziff Davis is still around someplace. I'd like to introduce you to Sam Whitmore. He founded uh, Sam Whitmore's Media Survey, which produces research and analysis that helps PR pros like us to pitch more effectively. And this guy has been around for so long that I'm, that I was like, he knows everybody. He knows all the ins and outs. And if you've never gotten one of his reports or haven't subscribed to his service, uh, you're, you're missing out on some key insights. So Sam Whitmore, welcome to The Embargo. Thank you, David. And thank you, Kevin. I've, sure. I've been enjoying the, uh, the email ticklers you send out with the uh, sort of Ralph Steadman-esque art and mm. uh, you're one of a kind in that department. Are you a Hunter Thompson fan? Um, very much so. Yeah, I, I read all his stuff, and I even read his stuff when he wrote for the National Observer back in the 60s. What's your favorite uh, Hunter Thompson uh, book? Oh, it would have to be um, it would have to be Las Vegas. Um, but there's a book called The Great Shark Hunt. That's what I was going to say. That's yeah. when, I, when I read that, that, that rocked my world. That, that, yeah. that, that changed me. Yeah, The Great Shark Hunt, which was really a compendium of a lot of different things he wrote. Yeah, for the uh, for, for Rolling Stone, mostly, I think. Is that right? Yes, yes. But it was basically him, you know, on the campaign trail. This is like post-Watergate, I think. Yep. Yeah, that was uh, that was illuminating. Uh, that's yeah, he, ins- he inspired me, really, to uh, to be a reporter, honestly. Really? Yep. T- Sam, t- tell us about your, your, your story here. So you... You've been doing this consulting thing for a while, but you were in the news beforehand. How did you get to where you are today and who are you working with now? Yeah, super short version. My first computer journalism job was 1983 um, magazine. Magazine was writing about the Apple II. My job was to edit manuscripts with pencils, red, green and blue pencils. Later that fall, Ziff Davis launched PC Week 
and I wormed my way in. John Dodge took a chance on me and hired me, and I worked at ZD for 14 years. So it was just just luck. What, what were they? So sorry. So ZD was publishing tech news at the time. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the publication that that is now eWeek used to be PC Week. So. I mean, it would be like being in Rolling Stone magazine in the early 70s. And Michael Dell was just starting. His company was called PCs Limited. No one ever heard of Bill Gates. And it was just, there was a real shortage of information on what computer industry was up to. And we were in the right place, right time. So yeah. we became this cult pub. And uh, I got to meet a lot of the players, not just industry players, but also the editors, you know, who went on to have really important jobs. That's one of the reasons that. I am well connected today in 2021 because a lot of these former colleagues are now running the show in a lot of places. So go ahead, Dave. Yeah. So, so you did 14 years of that and then you got out of journalism altogether and you became a media watcher. Yeah. Is that, is that, yeah. is that how you describe what are you doing have, now? Have, have either of you guys ever seen the prisoner with uh, Patrick McGowan, the TV show, the prisoner? I don't think is so. It, the beginning segment of that is him going in and resigning and slamming his shoe on the desk and berating his boss. And that's what I did at Ziff Davis. They, oh they, they did something unethical and I wouldn't do it. And they demanded that I do it and I wouldn't do it. And I quit. I didn't have plan B. I just knew I didn't want to work for them anymore. Just a man of principle. What was the thing that they did? <laughs> they wanted, they wanted me to, change two slides in a deck to please the sponsor of the presentation. And I would not. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think we might be cut from the same cloth. I, I'm the kind of guy that would shoot myself in the foot like that too. Uh, I think I've done it on several occasions, but I respect it, man. I, I think, you know, I mean, I guess what you, they wanted you to uh, make it more flattering to whomever was presenting and you thought it was crossing a line between editorial and sponsorship or something like that? Well, since, since you two are old pros, I'll give you all the details. This was a company called Sunsoft and they were in charge of marketing Java, which was supposed to be an open source, anybody could license it platform that Sun Microsystems produced. Well, in 1998, HP decided to license it, but they wanted to take the source code and sort of create their own Java. Mm. And Sun was out of their mind about it because they're trying to get their implementation of it as the standard. And here comes HP with some sort of bastard version of, of Java. And Sunsoft was the sponsor of this presentation, and they did not want me to mention HP and what they were up to. And I thought that that was really editorially valuable to say to an audience full of IT people, and they demanded that I not say it. And not only the, did I say it, I came in the following Monday and I quit. What, what was their reasoning? Why, why did they want you to omit that? You're asking great questions. The reason is that Ziff Davis was commercially producing a face-to-face -face event called Java One. Right. And Ziff Davis oh. had a $10 million contract with yeah. Sunsoft and they did not want Sunsoft to fall out of bed on ZD Comdex, the producer. The contract wasn't quite signed yet. Right. And so-, so and so they they just tried to squeeze me and said, well, just take the damn slides out. 
Yeah. And I, and I said, would you go to Michael Miller and say, you need to change the cover of PC Magazine because we have this deal going down? No, you wouldn't. So don't ask me to do right. that. And so that was, so, that's the fine detail of what the situation nice. was. Nice. Well, that's a good story. I did not know that. And then, and then what, what happened next? You were well, I without went a out. job? It was at a, it was at a Comdex event. It was back when Comdex was held in the spring. And I, I for, left for the, young, two- for the young kids out there, Comdex was dead and it was kind of like the old CES or is it the yes. new CES? Yeah, that's right? fair. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like CES. Yeah. 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 And so um, I went out and I, I presented the slides the way that I created them and I didn't really make a big deal about the backstory. I left that transparent, but I came back in on Monday and I said to my manager, I don't trust you guys anymore. I know I've worked here 14 years, but I don't trust you. And I'm resigning today. I'll give you two weeks notice. Great job. Hey, you know what? I I love that. Um, I I don't want you to take offense to this, Sam, but do you mind if I refer to you as like one of the grandfathers of (laughs) tech media coverage? Is that I'm in in all seriousness. I, 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 I just out of respect. Well, Are you, can I call you the grandfather or one of the grandfathers of tech media? Is that okay? Well, uh, considering that um, last month um, I was mailed my Medicare card by the United States, <laughs> I really but, can't object to that. All right, yeah. listen, here's here's the thing, okay? And, and Dave, we got a bunch of stuff we can talk about today, and uh, we could but, go deep on, on yeah. all kinds of things. But can I can I just can I just set this kind of tone here? Because what I really wanted to talk about. And I, I don't, you know, and I feel like I thought I was going to get some pushback from Sam, but I don't think so anymore. But I, I want to talk about the death of tech media. And, uh, you know, I want to make the case for it. And I want to hear what Sam and, and you, Dave, have to say about it. Um, but uh, before I go rambling on about that, Dave, there's some other uh, point you want to, to raise? No, this, no, but I, I, did, I, I did want to finish that story. So Sam quits his job, gives a big finger to his employer and boss. And then, but you're now on the street, Sam, two weeks later after you resigned. What are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm sitting in my spare bedroom wondering what I'm doing. And so, <laughs> and so one morning, it was a Monday morning, I sat down at my computer and I sent email to, um, I'd say a half dozen to eight high level PR people that I knew, Sabrina Horn, Pam Edstrom, Pam Alexander, and a half dozen, maybe others. And I said, okay, now that I can speak freely, I'd like to share with you where I think each of these five publications are strong and not so strong. PC Week, Computer World, Information Week, Info World, and Network World. So I said, if you're going to pitch Network World, you might not want to use this kind of language. That's not going to fly that well. You might want to use this kind of language. And so I sent it off just because I needed something to do that day. Well, later that week, they all wrote back and they said, oh, is this why you quit? Is this, is this what you're going to do? This is great. Nobody He said, that's this. a great idea. I think I'll start that business. <laughs> and I said, you are absolutely right. This is exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> and that's how Media Survey was born. And 23 years later, I'm still doing it. Yeah, so- and that, that's crazy, man, because like, you know, I, said, I mentioned the PR Pro Whisperer. Like, I, I came across, I've come across Sam's name several times. And, you know, in full disclosure, um, uh, I'm a client of Sam's and that's how we got to know each other this year, but I've been following him for years. Everybody, every now and then would have this insight. Where'd you get that? Sam, uh, Sam Whitmore's media survey, SWMS or whatever it is. And, and, and like, 
as a consultant, I've come around to clients who've used it. And then I've worked with agencies and I'm like, do you know, Sam, the agency? Yes. Agency B. Yes. Do you know agency C? And I'm like, everybody kind of knows him and he gets around and all the journalists knows who he's doing. So he's a PR whisperer, man. And he shares that insight with folks. So um, so you're, you're, you're still obviously tapped in then. I mean, like you could, can someone could construe what you did um, as being kind of sour grapes ish, right? Like, you know, screw these guys, you know, they tried to get me to do something I didn't want to do. Now I'm going to go and, you know, dump all over them to the, uh, to the PR people that I know. Um, and, and I could see that being, I, I, that would feel great for me. I'd, I'd love to do that. It sounds like a great idea. Uh, in a lot of ways to, to do something like that. But did anybody push back and say, well, you're just, you know, you're kind of dishing on your former employer. And once you're done doing that, we're not going to have a lot of value for, uh, for the stories you're telling. Oh, no, because I never shared that story. I didn't publish that story. Um, I mean, uh, there were insiders that knew what happened, but I didn't make that part of my brief. You know, I believed in competitive analysis and I still do. I mean, I have a mentality of let's deconstruct three stories on a single news event and let's see how each of these three stories were shaped and who was quoted and what the writing style is. That's the kind of analysis I like to do. And I, I just started doing that right out of the gate. Right. And so you're able to do that for, uh, I mean, obviously you've been out of the, you know, the publishing, the editorial business for a while, but just by reading the trades, by reading tech press, you can still, without even being kind of, I guess, connected necessarily or tapped into what a particular reporter was thinking or a particular editor was thinking, you just have a sense by reading this stuff, you're able to go back to your clients and say, hey, here's how this story happened and here's how you can make it happen again kind of thing. Yeah, one word answer is yes. Uh, I did an example. Example recently, I uh, studied a news announcement written up by four reporters and I looked for patterns in who was quoted. And I was able to determine that two of the publications just lifted the quotes right out of the press release sure. without saying that they did. And I think that that says something about them uh, because it doesn't cost anything to say, oh, according to a release, they said such and such. But if they leave that out, then that makes it look like they actually got them on the horn and interviewed them. Yeah. And that's, that's not cool. So that's the kind of stuff that I do. Um, and I want PR people to know that granular level of performance with the people that they're pitching. Yeah, and I, Kevin, I think it's going to set up that well for our next conversation, the topic you want to talk about. But Sam, I think one of the most important things he does is he gets access to news reporters to ask them what they're looking for. And he'll do one-off briefs, but it's, a, it's an interview where he's not necessarily – the PR person, but as a fellow journalist, can you talk a little bit about how you get that access and how you're talking to folks that are covering our space, really? It all depends. That's a good question, David. In some cases, like let's say the Wall Street Journal experts, where they have a bunch of contributors, well, they're always looking for new contributors and they have competitors. Protocol has a board. And so um, they would talk to me to sort of wave their flag and say, hey, if you're an innovative CIO or CMO and you want to publish, you should be publishing with us, not with somebody else. So they have something to sell too, which is really interesting when an editor is in sell mode. So I'm a perfect person to talk to for that because Media Survey has a lot of leverage in, in that sort of um, 
SME world, I guess you could call it. Mm-hmm. So there's that. But also, to give you another example, I'm not just always trying to fleece them for inside dope. I was on the phone this afternoon with an editor who's trying to fill some jobs. And, and I, I said, um, just FYI, I study this stuff and here's who's good and here's who's affordable. You could probably get so-and-so for, you know, maybe less than what you were paying. And, and that editor really appreciated it. Sometime you should just bring something to a target without asking anything in return. And that's how you build a relationship. Yeah, good pitch yeah. tactic. So, so just so I'm clear, are they clients of yours too? Or are but your clients- pub, No, no, the publications don't pay me anything. Got they it. used to, when I first started, Ziff Davis and IDG and CMP subscribed because Media Survey was different than there was a lot of inside baseball. and and uh, But over the years, the PR people weren't really interested in that. You know what they wanted? No big surprise to you. Target info, hard to get Gmail addresses, pitch ops. That's, that's what they want. 99% of what our subscribers want, want that. Everything else is superfluous. So media survey is really focused over the years, not on what I wanted to do. Right. You know, it's what they want. And that makes me happy now as an old man, it makes me happy when they send me mail saying, Hey, I got a hit. Thanks. You know, that's, that's what motivates me. So, and it's, it's mostly focused around technology. Correct. The yes. tech industry. Okay. So Kevin, to your point, and we've talked about this a lot and we've seen it. I've seen this headline over the years. Tech media is dead. Tech PR is dead, but I keep seeing tech everywhere. <laughs> What's yeah. your take on this? So you see a lot of, you see a lot of big tech uh, coverage, big tech media coverage is everywhere. It's in the mainstream media. Um, but I think that uh, for the most part coverage of um, and, and you and I work in enterprise tech, but you know, vendors that sell technology products, software products, and, and hardware products too, that, that coverage is, is gone. I don't know where, at the risk of committing career suicide here, um, I, I really don't know where to, where to go for that. I don't know who prints it. I don't know who cares about it. I don't know that there are publications dedicated to it or reporters to write those articles anymore. Um, I, I'll give you an example. I'm, I'm pitching a story now um, of a company, a software company. Actually, they're a services company. Uh, they're, they closed a $100 million deal to sell um, software from one of the big cloud providers to a, uh, a company. Um, and there's, a, there's a, a blockchain crypto element to it. There's an artificial intelligence element to it. It's got a you know, it's, it's a hundred million dollar deal. And, you know, I, I honestly, I, I'm not getting a lot of interest in that story. Um, and I, it's, it's, uh, it's really, it's really strange to me. I, I, I'm disappointed by it. Um, and, and I honestly, I really believe that the kind of tech media, the way that we, Dave, you and I kind of grew up pitching it when there were to, uh, to Sam's point before, you know, there was, there were a dozen publications out there um, that's all dried up, and I, I think there are you can there are a lot of a bunch of places to point the finger. Um, you can point it at the internet. You can point it at social media. You can point it. I think um, TechCrunch, obviously, one of my favorite targets. I think they're to blame for a lot of it too. Um, but I, I think it's I think the way that we used to think about tech media and really kind of um, you know kind of enterprise tech coverage 
I think it's dead. Kevin, can I ask you why TechCrunch is uh, partially responsible and yeah. for what? Yeah, I think, you know, when they started uh, focusing on the um, on the venture deals, this is, I think, 2005 when they launched. And, you know, every headline and every article was about the next biggest um, venture deal. We kind of we kind of lost the focus of well, where's all that money going and what are they doing with it? And what are they building and who's using those products? And the focus shifted to the money as opposed to the innovation and the vendors and the users and the application of the technology. And it just became all about like, who can announce the biggest tech deal next? And, uh, and I, th- I think it's, it's definitely still that way because you know, pitching funding deals today is harder than ever. Because if you don't have, if it's not a, you know, it's gotta be a $50 million deal or a hundred million dollar or a half a billion dollar deal. And if it's not, you know, people aren't moved. So, you know, I think TechCrunch has, uh, they were the ones that really started pushing those VC stories. Um, and so I, you know, I think they have a lot to do with it. Okay. Um, I know the broader topic is, is tech media dead? And you should pull me back to that, but I want to respond to the TechCrunch point. Yep. Um, the reason that they do that is because it drives more traffic. Yes. Um, what is emerging is always interesting to opportunistic people, and, and that is who reads TechCrunch. They are opportunists looking to connect dots and get out ahead and build their deal flow and be ahead of everybody. So that drives page views. That's big reason why they do it. But also many journalists over the years, and particularly now, lament the fact that they would like to find out how 2019's darlings are really doing, but it's very hard to get access to the facts about early deployments. Case studies are very hard to find. And PR people are to blame in great measure because they tamp down reporters who are trying to dig into how things are really going. So those stories are really hard to find and they're hard to report. Well, wait a second. Let me push back on that point a little bit, if you don't mind. I I don't think PR people, if that's okay, I I don't think PR people are tamping down those stories. Those stories about customer implementations are just hard to get because the customers don't want to talk to them. The PR people would love to tell those stories. So it's not that the PR people don't want to share that information with the reporters. They don't have the ability to do that. So, but I, I think, so, but what about, so look at it just a slightly different way. Like what happened to all the stories, Sam, about, you know, company X, software vendor X announcing new product that's got these features and you get an analyst quoted in there and you talk about how the features are going to be used. And if you're lucky, you do get a customer to comment on that. And you know, there's a little analysis from the journalist talking about kind of how the market is evolving for that product. Where where did all those stories go? Um, search engines diminished the value of that. Flipboard and Google News Alerts uh, diminished the value of that. Um, the editors determined, and probably from their research and just their their analytics for what people click on, is that if people were motivated to get sort of top of the funnel awareness information about something being announced, computers can deliver that information to them. Um, Publications became more valuable in this modern era for context and connecting dots and helping people see around corners. And uh, 
that's a more expensive proposition for uh, publications. Editors and reporters who think that way um, often like to work for analyst firms or they want to work for themselves. You're talking to somebody that likes to work for himself here. And also vendors snap these people up for content marketing or what have you. So um, those two, those are the two answers. Automation made it easy for you not to need to read product stories. And the talent uh, is hoovered up by a lot of other parties leaving the IQ, the collective IQ of tech media sort of at a, at a, at a low point. Yeah. So Sam, th- this is a great discussion here because I'm just thinking through what you're saying and what Kevin's arguing, you know, uh, what is your take? Like if we look at the media landscape and let's look back at it in the nineties or early two thousands before, you know, search engines and, and social networks kind of sucked it all up to be quicker hits like a tech crunch or something. But like, you look at a, a publication like Information Week or InfoWorld, they're still publishing out content. And I think there's still some thoughtful pieces going in some of that, but not nearly as much because that's what you used to read. And now uh, there's publications like Protocol and 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 um, Vox and others that have taken a slightly different approach. Like I still think there's good analysis in, in publications like Protocol that are deeper than like a TechCrunch or others. What is your take on the, the sort of new media that's being invested in and coming up? Um, those sorts of publications on Politico writes about tech and Axios. Yeah. And, and so if we're talking about that genre, I think that is a reflection that technology collectively, you could call it FANG, uh, yeah. but, but big tech collectively is now more influential than governments. Mm-hmm. And they have more power than governments. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the publishing industry has recognized this before most people. And so they are basically watchdogging these new dynamics. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is driving this whole new phalanx of, of modern coverage of technology because it's almost in a political and social context. I, I guarantee you, no. No high IT um, executive is making buying decisions based on um, these publications. Right. But but so you're absolutely right. So but then my question, my follow up to that would be, where are they to the extent that they ever made buying decisions or they were ever influenced by anything that they read? Where are so Dave and I had this conversation the other day, actually, I think it was on the pod. Right. I, I mentioned CIO magazine, one of your one of your old pubs, I, I guess CIO was probably around. That's IDG, bro. You, you don't even yeah. know where it is now. So. No, I know. <laughs> no, no. Sam was an IDG guy, right? No, you no he was a CD that guy. My bad. My bad. My bad. My bad. My bad. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm getting my publishers confused. But the point is, where do the CIOs, where can the CIOs go for, uh, for that content? Because you're right. They don't care what Axios has to say or Politico or Business Insider or whatever they're calling that thing these days. They, but they still... To me, like that's it's a that that's why I say tech media is dead or or dying is because there's um, there's an empty space there where I think CIOs and IT executives could have used to go to Information Week or Info World or Computer World or uh, E Week uh, or Network World for that content and that information and I I just it's just gone now I I, I don't know where they would go for that Sam where do you where do you well, see them going. Um, they go to 
um, four five one group and constellation right, the analyst firms yeah I, I know a lot of former journalists at those places but, but that's <laughs> that's a different beast right so i mean let's talk yeah. frankly about that right that's now you're talking about analysts that are being paid by vendors and and theoretically are you know unbiased but that's a much different animal than uh than a, a reporter than an editor who's supposed to you know not be paid by those vendors so uh, i mean that, that doesn't seem kosher to me. And it also doesn't seem like it's providing an even playing field for, uh, for smaller vendors. Well, I'm, I'm playing the role here of a, a hungry IT leader that wants to know what 2022 is going to look like because he or she has to put together the budget in the next 60 days. <clears throat> right. So um, they're not going to turn to uh, tech media for the uh, meat and potatoes of that. They're going to go to, um, I mentioned those organizations. I could have mentioned other ones. But here's an important point that a former journalist made to me after a couple of beers, after she went from the IT trades to 451. And she said, the thing that is now awesome in my life is people talk to me because they don't have to talk to me off the record, I mean, meaning that they can say whatever they need to say, and they're not going to be worried about being quoted. So her information is much richer and much more contextual because they don't turn around at these firms and publish everything that they're told the way that media is trained to do. So therefore the knowledge in these organizations is really rich and the buyers really like that. But the problem, so is, are, the problem is it's only available to the buyers though, right? Well, you got to pay um, for it, Kevin. Imagine you're making a decision about who to, who to vote for in an election yeah, and you want information Kevin, about the candidates and you had to, the only way to get that information was to, was to pay for it. Yeah, but here's the thing, though. If you if you look at um, like Wikibon or Constellation or or some of these others, they produce blogs. You know, it's sort of a freemium model if you think yeah. about it. You know, Ray Ray Wang, you know, he gets Larry Dignan on there, and they drive around like comedians having coffee. I don't know if you've ever seen that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but they they drive around and they talk about IT. And it's a Constellation product, but it's sort of a brand builder. But they, they, they give really good information that is sort of actionable for people who are in IT. So I guess the point I want to make is that because of search engines, because of newsletters and podcasts like this, and the, the wisdom of IT purchasing has been sort of decoupled from publications in a way. Right. And, and so using uh, alerts and tags and, and, I mean, information can find you, right? I'm not telling you anything you don't know. <clears throat> so those buyers have sort of a, a galaxy of different sort of groups, uh, but they tend, to, they tend to rely on people who are not constrained by on the record, off the record, and just tell me what's going on, right? Yeah. So that, that's, what a buyer, that's what a buyer wants to go to. And so I think one of the big things that publications in the 2020s, in this decade, if they want to survive, they're going to have to grapple with this thing that they have to publish everything that people talk, talk to them about. <clears throat> I think that that's a losing proposition. They need to become knowledge organizations and be sort of judicious about what it is that they publish so that they build trust so that vendors 
can talk to them in a relaxed and out, you know, outgoing way. So what does that mean for communications professionals, PR professionals, and tech media in, in general? Should It sounds like what you what we advise clients is kind of tell add something to the conversation right tell them some news what did your take on all that and what how does that change well it seems like the guidance should be save up your pennies and and pay four five one is is i love the take i'm getting there (laughs) well i don't think so then sam doesn't get paid paid either (laughs) I, I, i don't mean to be so black and white about these sort of hybrid analyst firms i mean they're they're a player on the field. Publications are still doing, I believe, a pretty good job of doing what they do best. But um, I, I think the I think the point, David, would you ask your question again, please? Yeah. Well, what I mean, so what those dynamics you just explained, what does that mean for a tech journalist and for oh, PR and about, firms? And yeah. about the PR firm, yes, yes, yeah. okay. Yeah, the, I think the answer to that is, I think there is an enormous opportunity to rethink um, sp- media training. Um, and, and, and the opportunity for media training is to basically <laughs> double the amount of time that they spend as if the interview was maybe 30 minutes and there was an off the record period for 30 minutes as well. Now, that, that may or may not play out in the real world, but as curriculum and as an exercise, the executives would learn so much more about how the media operated if they would have um, a sort of a formal traditional session where you're playing cat and mouse and you want to feather in your messages and, and what, what media training traditionally is. And then you have the secret session which is you are talking to a reporter and the agency absolutely assures the client that this person is trustworthy and you can, you can just have a half hour conversation with her. She's not going to screw you. Uh, and, and she wants to truly understand what you're trying to do. That would be the second part of this new media training. And the executive would say, oh, this is great. Now, that executive is actually going to do the same thing with 451 and Constellation because they don't play that cat and mouse game. Your executive is much more comfortable talking to somebody they can trust. They're not going to see their their slip-ups on the web, right? So that's where I think the commercial opportunity is for PR is to train the executives to play cat and mouse. Okay, that's sort of the traditional game, but also to win long-term trust from reporters and editors and become truly a thought leader and and play the long game with these people. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because I, I did that the most when I was doing security PR. Who are you working for, Dave? Who's your client? <laughs> I'm not going to say. No, who's your client, right? Who? I'm not going to say because I don't want to go to, to Was do it a big it, tech company or a startup? It was a big tech company, okay. and then there was also startups involved in that. You know, security space is odd. Uh, the, you know, they keep the, the things to their chest pretty close. But we did do the interviews on whatever products we were. But then there was open conversations to happen because, you know, you're dealing with, you know, the black arts here, right, and 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 uh, the dark web, and also nation states, right, and who whose whose system was was at fault here, 
and to have those honest conversations and that gets out, we use that as a funnel to bring out uh, issues in the public space without us having to be tagged to it because it was an important issue. It could be, you know, anything from like how this hack happened and who was at fault, be it the U.S. government, a company, or 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 some piece of open source software. Um, but that what we were was a resource to the journalists, and they right, kept but, coming but back. Let me to ask us. you this: So, Dave, you and I work with a lot of startups, right? And there are far more startups than there are big tech companies. So, Sam, I I, I would ask you like. Uh, most of my clients, most of the companies that I interface with, I've been doing this, working with startups for 20 some odd years, they don't get the kind of time, uh, especially these days, to talk to journalists where they can, you know, go through that process of playing cat and mouse and then, you know, feather in some messaging and then provide some background stuff because there just aren't any reporters and editors that want to take briefings for startups. I mean, that just doesn't even happen, right? So, and, and I, you know, I'm not saying, I say it doesn't happen. It, it happens occasionally. It happens rarely, but it's just, you know, again, because back to my original point where I, I just think, you know, there, uh, there just aren't very many outlets, there aren't very many reporters. They, they don't take the time to do these briefings, not, not, not no fault of their own, really. It's just, it, it doesn't, it's not part of the business model. So what do startups, what can startups do knowing they're not going to get those briefings, not going to get that 30 minutes or 60 minutes, may not even get that five minutes. So how can startups build better relationships with press when they don't have those, uh, when they don't have that time? Podcasts and newsletters ought to be like getting a personal trainer because those are long form conversational media forms. And there aren't really a lot of expectations in terms of output. Um, and it's a mutual discovery process, these discussions with newsletter editors and podcasters. I mean, think about what we're doing here. You know, we're 40 minutes into it and it's like, this is fun and it's, this is good. So um, can you get the um, executives of these startups to sort of rethink what influence is? And instead of looking at it as the array of media brands, have them look at it as the men and women who really understand this shit and let's just spend you know, lengthy periods with them. Like, yep. for example, in the networking world, if, you, if you're not talking to uh, packet pushers, and you may have to pay to talk to packet pushers, um, but <laughs> you're going to get exposed in long form to um, people that really, truly understand your business, and they probably have budget for it. So um, it's worth that's, where, that's where I would shift the uh, lion's share of whatever precious time these executives have, wean them off of the trophy case mentality toward media and, and introduce them to passionate people who understand their business really well. And I guarantee you that it will be an exhilarating experience for these executives. They'll come back saying, wow, you know, that person really knows his stuff. They do. Yeah. You know what, the, the challenge with that is it, it lacks the reach typically, especially for these startups um, that I think they believe that they're getting when they are connected to a brand like an information week or something like that. But I, I think your point is well taken. The other challenge, and sorry, Dave, I think I cut you off there, but I was going to say the other challenge is, and we've talked about this on the pod before too, is that when the, uh, when the vendor is in control of the story, when the vendor becomes the editor, 
then the consumer of that information really has to ask some serious questions about the credibility of the content. And you know, we've talked about this, Andreessen Horowitz, the, the VC firm, you know, they created their own media brand and you know, there've been a bunch of others. And we've talked about how to, you know, other outlets that have done, other vendors and um, commercial companies, I guess that have done the same thing, but do, is that what we want? Do we want uh, the vendors in control of the news per se? I mean, what happened to the whole idea that, you know, that, that was the role of the media to be the gatekeeper of, of the truth. Uh, don't we lose some of that, Sam, when all we're talking about are newsletters and podcasts? Uh, no. Um, I'm going to tell you a story about my, my early days interviewing Tech Target. Okay. Um, Tech Target was founded in 1998, and they hired Paul Gillen out of IDG to be the launch editor. But they had this, they had all this vendor content on equal par with editorial content. And I said, what are you doing? You know, this is, this is not good. Um, you know, cause people aren't going to be able to tell, you know, what's being paid for and what's the deal. And they, they admonished me and they said, this is not vendor content. This is expert content. It happens to be written by vendors, but that's it right. is. Mm, I didn't think about that's that. A, that's, that, that that's a pretty thin line there. That's a pretty thin uh, line. Whoa, whoa, Kevin, Kevin, uh, uh, this whole conversation, I think you just kind of, killing the conversation in terms of negativity of what's going on here. I'm going to defend that point and say it, is, it may be slanted towards the vendor, but it's still expert content. The journal, like if you were to take BI and analytics and they publish a paper on analytics of what's going on, that's some good stuff. There is some good vendor sponsored content out there. It may have a slant to say, come by me now at the end of it, but these people work on it every day. They understand the industry and what's going on. There's some good stuff there. There's also a lot of crap out there, but I think there's some good stuff out there. And that I, I, I like think the phrase I, expert Kevin, content. You know, Kevin, Kevin deserves a hearing on this. You know, <laughs> I, I, I love I love doing the devil's advocate thing, but I have two other points to make about this. Number one is vendor content isn't monolithic. I mean, if it's coming out of the sales department, it's probably less credible and yeah. more loaded than if it was coming out of tech support. Um so there's yeah, that for sure. And, and, and the other, yeah. the other point that the tech target people made is if you look through the prism of the buying decision, mm. you know, because tech target wasn't founded by publishers, they were found. It was founded by two EMC salespeople who understood buying psychology and the buying process. And they saw a publishing opportunity because IDG and everybody else was just out there publishing articles and news. And meanwhile, the, the buyers were on a completely diagonal vector about what they wanted. So they were okay mm. with vendor content. And the tech target people said to me, think about any considered purchase. Let's say uh, a luxury vehicle. So mm. you're going to start and do consumer reports and you're going you're gonna to do sort of objective information more at the top of the funnel just to sort of figure out what brand you're going to select and all that. But when you get down to the final consideration and you're choosing between vendor A and vendor B, you're going to go to the vendors and say, give me your best shot. You know, I want soup to nuts on everything you've got. 
and they ultimately make their final buying decision based on that vendor content. So editorial plays a role, but it's generally oh. it's generally sort of a, an initiation. Sounds like an initiation or a supporting role. My concern <laughs> with it, guys, and, and listen, I you know I work in tech media all day, but my concern with this is that it's um, it's not available to the masses. Right. So, you know, this whole idea of like, well, Tech Target's going to publish vendor content alongside editorial, and that's what the buyers want. But what if you're a startup that doesn't have the resources to buy space on Tech Target? Right. Well, but you, you know, you're, they're probably not going to be ready to do that until like Series C or D, honestly. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah but that's my target. point. Right. So, but doesn't doesn't make the product any less valuable or useful to an end user, all it means is they don't have the resources to pay to have it published. So I'm going to tell you something that Steve Lohr told me. Allow me to drop a name here. Um, I, I was like challenging him one day. Steve, Steve Lohr is a veteran New York Times tech reporter. Yep. And I said, uh, how come the Times just doesn't write about these startup companies and they're well-funded and they have great ideas and, you know, you're writing about IBM all the time. Yeah. You know, what, what is the deal? And he said, here's how small companies get a voice in the New York Times. We like to look at a shared challenge, some really gnarly problem that everybody would really like to solve and it's a high stakes problem to solve. Let's just say passwords. Everybody you know, hates passwords, but you know, no one's really come up with a better way. So the way that the Times would do it is they would assign Steve to go out and interview people about how are you trying to solve this really gnarly problem and how creative are you in getting around it? And he said that's, that puts small companies and large companies on the same playing field mm. because then it's just a meritocracy of who has the coolest, most creative idea. And that may or may not come from a big company. It could come from some kid that came from Stanford. And that allows them to be covered at a sort of a, a, a merit level as sure. opposed to... Right. Yeah, that, in theory, that that's a, true. I don't know that they're, you know, more inclined to listen to these small startup they've never heard of when they get a pitch from, you know, a bigger company or someone connected to someone else. But I know what you mean. But actually, I think you, you might be right when the topic is when the publication is the New York Times and their audience is, you know, kind of general business consumerish. Depends, you know, depends on who they're reading on what page you're on, I guess. But I'm talking about like in the in the tech press. Right, because if you look at the tech press today, it's it's really dominated by whatever six companies, right? Eight companies, ten companies. It's very hard for smaller companies to get um, to get their story out there. And and I don't, you know, the journalists that I'm in touch with, I mean, you know, they're, I mean, they they say as much, right? I mean, they're they're going to cover the companies that are the biggest companies and that are uh, probably sponsoring or advertising and. You know, and, and it's a matter of clicks, right? Like to your point before, it's a matter of creating headlines that people are going to click on. And it, I, I don't think it's a meritocracy in the in the tech press. And I, I would actually question whether it is in the business press too. But I see your point. All right, we can talk for <laughs> days now, dude. Yeah, Sam, thank you for I, your insight. We we should keep going here. We're only got a few minutes left, Kevin. Okay. Uh, I think you had a couple games, and then we also have our rep fire refer session like sam you're going to come back for part two man and and then i i think i'm going to be you know 
mediator here between you and Kevin, or me, maybe I, think, you I actually be- think Sam and I are on the same page. I oh, think no, yeah. <laughs> I, I think we are. I think we, I think we both think tech media is dead or certainly changed. Um, Listen, I don't, I don't think it's dead in any way. I think it's definitely changed. What I do like what Sam said, there are, it's coaching marketers, executives on new ways to communicate that aren't traditional media relations. And you're seeing a lot of forward thinking uh, companies do that. They've set up these newsrooms and blogs on their websites. They're publishing their own, you know, they're sending out more newsletters, but they're also partnering with folks uh, to do that. And they're paying for some, there's a lot more paid content going Dave, on. Such a spinster, days. man. Yeah. yeah. I, it, just tell it like it is, man. Yeah. It's, it's definitely changed. It's evolved. And if you want to be, I, I just told it like it was. It yeah. Well, with with uh, with a little fluff and spin, but um, all right. So what we usually do around this time, Sam, is we uh, we hit a couple of game ish topics. So I was going to throw a couple of names at you of publications and journalists that I worked with, and, and Dave, feel free to throw in yours too. You know, because I, I I just love to get your like the first thing that pops into your head when you hear these publications and you hear these names. Does that sound okay? Sure. <laughs> that wasn't super enthusiastic but i'll take it all right hang on for a second let me find my page here oh shit now i lost it uh wait a second wait a second uh, oh, man. oh here we go i know right i need some music we need yeah. to use this thing better all right here we go so here's the first one uh here you go sam business 2.0 ahead of its time uh yeah good way to say that all right uh industry standard Um, curriculum for the dot-com boom. Hmm. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> curriculum for the, for the dot-com dot- boom. You, uh, you know what I would say, Sam? Rooftop parties. That's what I would have said. <laughs> I, I've been to a couple of those. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, interactive week. Tom Steiner, Threlkeld, uh, the late great. Mm, good. All right. Okay. Uh, let's see. PC Mag. Um, the Bible of tech reviews. Yeah, still? They're still doing um, a lot. What they did was, and I had a lot of inside dope on that. I worked there. And, you know, the editor's choice thing was an absolute brainstorm. Uh, that had so much influence on what was bought in the 80s and 90s. It's not even funny. Yeah, uh, that's true. That's true. Uh, a couple more for you. Um, information week. Um, a relaxed magazine. We're not going to chase scoops publication. Uh, that's, that's what you think of them today, or that's what you, uh, you, you thought, think of them kind of in the whole of them. Well, you know, that of- has always been their brand. I would submit. Yeah. Yeah. Is that they are very comfortable explaining how it works and what buyers need to be thinking about. Okay. All right. Um, CIO magazine. Professional development for executives at the crossroads. Hmm. Professional development. Okay. How about a couple of the newer publications? Uh, Tech Beacon. What's your thoughts on Tech Beacon? You know those guys? Yes. Elevated um, vendor content. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Uh, thank you for making my point. Um, 
And I'll finish with uh, I'll finish with Tech Target. Data driven expertise where editorial is really only along for the ride. It's funny you say that, Dave. I don't know if you have a different opinion. I, I actually am a huge fan of Tech Target. I think the editorial is really strong across the publications. And, and I don't mind that there's vendor content that shows up there from time to time, because I think the journalists that write for the various Tech Target pubs are by and large pretty good. Uh, listen, I think Tech Target is great for PR folks, particularly in enterprise tech, because they have a search for everything, right? So whether it's business analytics, Oracle, whatever, it's great. Uh, but they're, they're, their secret sauce is everything behind that. I mean, they, they have so much to sell from mailing lists to whoever. Marketers love that place because they can get leads, et cetera. They, they, the, their data, their yeah. data products are unbelievable. There, yeah. There's nobody like them. Yeah, they, they've really cornered that market in terms of, you know, if you want to reach technology buyers. Let me so. throw a few names at you. Let me throw a few names at you. Some guys, from, some blasts from the past here. Ephraim Schwartz. Um, cordial and, um, genial. Yeah. Is he, do you know what he's doing these days? I don't, I know he rode a motorcycle for a while. Yeah. I think he's a guy I'd like to get a beer with. Ephraim was a good guy. Uh, Charlie Babcock. Uh, studious and, uh, one of the cloud pioneers. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Phil Wainwright speaking of cloud pioneers. Um, runs with good company. Okay. Uh, Michael Arrington. The original tech shit disturber. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is he the original tech shit disturber or just the first guy to publish about it? <laughs> no, he really is. I mean, he wrote, yeah, about, he, he wrote about Ritalin and, and, and how Ritalin was being gobbled by all these VCs when they were doing their due diligence. I mean, he, wow. he did some really bold and valuable stuff. Yeah, um, it, it did change, Kevin, when Mike Arrington came on the scene because he, he took form of blogging and almost straight up, it was news and gossip all together at the same time. So I, I think, you know, kind of next to social media, um, you know, kind of, I guess, sandwiched between the dot-com boom and social media was the launch of TechCrunch in terms of the most important important events in kind of tech news in the last 20 years, 25 years, I guess. Yeah. It is. Uh, a couple more for you. I'm Malik. Uh, a publishing surprise. Mm. Um, he mm. turned into an entrepreneur. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Kara Swisher, Walt Mossberg, we'll throw them together. Oh, um, Mount Olympus. Um, you know, for the last twenty-five years, they're uh, they're on top of Mount Olympus in red chairs. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Last one, Henry Blodgett. Um, everybody deserves a second shot. <laughs> That's a good way to finish. Um, we do this last. We do this game we call Rep Fire Refer, Sam. As a, an avid listener to the Embargoed podcast, I'm sure you know all about it, but I'll remind our newer listeners, it's the game where uh, I'm going to give you three uh, names or three things, and you have to decide whether you want to represent one as their PR firm, whether you want to fire one 
as their PR firm or whether you want to refer them to another PR firm. So you're going to rep, fire, and refer uh, these three things. Make sense? Yep. All right. The first one is information week. The next one is CIO. And the third one is TechCrunch. Um, I would refer information week. I would fire CIO and I would represent TechCrunch. Uh, can you give us uh, why on TechCrunch at least? Uh, because TechCrunch has the most editorial talent hmm. and TechCrunch is a tribe. Um, I could imagine wearing them sort of like Sons of Anarchy, you know, motorcycle jackets and, and they're friends and um, they s- stick together and produce really good work. I think in terms of uh, brother and sisterhood in the business, they're second to none. And I think that they could do some things better, but uh, I think with new management, um, I think they're, they're going to probably be in the next two or three years uh, improve even more and be the best publication out there. There you go. All right. Take your word for it. Sam, you're thanks the, for you're the, you're the media whisperer, the tech media yeah, whisperer. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we are back next week with a show. Uh, super insightful. Hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. Talk to you all soon. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Gabriel. Six, seven, nine, five, 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 five